Hi, I am Nicole J. Georges. I am a queer, feminist, vegan cartoonist, teacher, and advice columnist living in Portland, Oregon, with my half-blind chihuahua, Ponyo Georges. <coughs> Welcome to our podcast, Sagittarian Matters. Sagittarian Matters. Sagittarian Matters. What's the On today's episode of Sagittarian Matters, we start with some advice on work and anxiety with writer Michelle T. Then, I talk to cartoonist, novelist, and former L-word writer Ariel Schrag about what it was like to be a teenage cartoonist, what she would do if her hands broke off, and more. We also answer a little bit of romantic advice that involves the state of Florida. Stay tuned. Here's my question. I get really anxious and then have trouble even starting whatever project or work I'm intending to do that day. What are your tips to get past the nerves and onto the magic of the work? This person gets anxious before they start working. I feel like I want more information. I want to know, like, what work are you doing? Like, what? what's the anxiety about? Like, I want to unpack it. Like, what is? what are you thinking about? You know what I mean? Like, what? Like, it's like... It's, yeah. it's hard to know, but, but in general, I think a great, um, bomb for anxiety is Buddhism. And I would say get a meditation practice and read a lot of Buddhism. Cause if you read a lot of Buddhism, it, it kind of helps with anxiety cause it just makes you realize that like nothing really matters. Nothing. It which, doesn't matter. Yeah. Which I find liberating. Yeah. You know, like it just kind of, there is no success. There's no failure. There's just like this moment. What are you going to do in this moment? You're going to sit there and freak out. You're going to do the work. Like, yeah. You know, I also highly recommend psychi- psychiatric medication, like not Xanax or Clonopin or something that you like pop when you're freaking out. Cause basically then you're just a pill head, but like something that is like you take every day that just sort of recalibrates you. If you're, if you might have GADS, which is, Oh, sorry. I'm talking into the wrong machine. Um, you might have GADS general, general anxiety disorder. I have GADS. E-GADS. E-GADS, exactly. And so I'm on GADS meds. And um, it's great. It just means that I just have, like, far less anxiety than I used to have. And everything else is pretty much the same. Like, um, the only thing that's different is that I'm not, like, making decisions from anxiety, which I didn't realize how often I did that. Can you give me an example? Like, like every relationship that I was in. Yeah. Like, the whole time you knew me. Yeah. Like, a anxiety like a decision made in extreme anxiety to leave or stay or just to just incite it, to chase yeah. it, to yeah. want it, to want who the people that I wanted. Yeah. Um, yeah, totally. I mean, for me, it really came out in my relationships, but, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, if you, if your anxiety is that paralyzing at that moment, you know, like to sit down to work, my guess is you probably also experience anxiety at other moments. Like I doubt that you only experience extreme debilitating anxiety right here. Like you probably have it in other places. So you might want to just look into it. It doesn't change your personality. It doesn't steal your soul. It doesn't steal your creativity. It just sort of makes it so that you're evened out and you can actually make better decisions and be more productive and, and enjoy your life. But there is kind of a level of disassociation you kind of have to do with your writing. So like this anxious person, yeah, I just like, you kind of have to pretend like no one's looking at you or else you're not going to get anything done. Yeah. 
Like when I was in a band, I was in a two-person band, and my bandmate was like, how can you do all those weird things, like wear costumes and like dance and act weird like you do on stage? And I was like, I no one's looking at me. They're looking at you. And she was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I just don't think about it. That's so great. It's, I mean, that's its own gift, I think, to be able to do that. No, it doesn't come naturally to everybody. I don't know if it's mental illness or it how much be, it is. But that's great if it's like, working for not you. not feeling seen throughout my childhood. So then as an adult, I'm like, I can do whatever I want because nobody sees me anyway. And that seems like a little bit... I don't know. It's like the silver lining of your particular childhood dysfunction. Yeah. It's nice. nice. I'm working it. it. I'm working it to my advantage. (laughs) So I'm just going to do whatever I want. So great. Super free. I love that. I love that story. But so this person... Also, um, maybe she's crippled with the anxiety of doing a giant project. It really is one page at a time. Yeah. It just... I mean, doing like a graphic novel. And also... Doing graphic novel that's 300 pages that are due in a year. I'm Ooh. facing this anxiety if I yeah. think about it as a whole. You can't. But I take it day by day, and I have a thermometer, and every day I fill in my little piece of the thermometer. You do? Like you're fundraising for yourself? Yeah. That's like so I draw cute. a thermometer, and I have a code for, okay, if I got a pencil, a penciled page done today, I you know, do the block like this. And if I ink a page today, I do the block like this. So I can see my progress. God. See, that would... Satisfying. Some people, that would make anxious, though. It would? <laughs> Well, yeah. I, I'm kind of an optimist too. I'm a Sagittarius. Your, your um, thermometer is half full. My thermometer is half I'm a Sagittarius. I'm yeah. like, look at where I was three months ago. Yeah. This is incredible. That's great. I also have a, a productivity coach who helps me set goals and then I can check in with him about my goals. That's so great. And if something's not working or I'm feeling too much anxiety, he can help give me a system to bind my anxiety and keep me on track. Wow, so you basically have like a life coach kind of person. Well, I have a separate, I feel like Beth Pickens, who's a consultant to artists, uh-huh. is like my, um, you know, business coach. Okay. And then Alec Longstreth, who did this giant book, Basewood, is my productivity coach. I have different coaches for different things. That's awesome. So you've reached out for help. For Reaching help. help. For mentors yeah. and stuff like that. That's really great. Yeah. That's really great. That's what I do. But I mean, with comics, it's such a slog. You know, it like, like, a like at some point when you're doing the drawing, it's not even the creative process anymore. You're mm-hmm. just doing like this rote work. Like, yeah. So a thermometer is helpful in that way. Mm-hmm. It's not like I'm going to go create to, like the writing process is very different yeah. than the drawing process. That makes sense. Ariel Schrag has been making lesbian comics since the mid nineties when we were both teenagers And as a teenager, I found out about her comics, and she was very prolific. And I had that feeling that people get when they realize that Beyonce is their same age, when they're like, what? Beyonce's done all these things and we're the same age? That's how I felt about Ariel, because we were approximately the same age. So when I was in high school, I was doing social justice work and doing a zine, but I wasn't doing comics like that. And I was like, god damn it, she's so prolific, I can't believe it. my favorite things about her work, I love how prolific she is. I love how hardworking she is. I love that she drew herself masturbating with ink before because it, she's very dedicated to the craft. Um, and I find her to just be a very intelligent, generous individual. Ariel Schrag, thanks for uh, being on my podcast. Thanks I've... for having me. I'm really excited to be part of it. So last time I saw you, I was getting taken away in a tow truck (laughs) with an extra from Breaking Bad. Yes. Um, That was traumatic. We met with some disaster. I saw you at Comic-Con. Yeah. In Portland. After my dog had been 
nuzzled by a sexy Wonder Woman. <laughs> I just had an image of its nose going like straight into her cleavage. Yeah, Ponya was strangely like um, in a weird trance yeah. or a daze when maybe it was the perfume. Yeah, the it perfumed. Was- Cleavage. And all the men coming out of every corner, God. snapping pictures, when this poor, poor sexy Wonder Woman, who has more face, more Instagram followers than anyone I know. <laughs> like, any, any is person. Is she, oh, so she, what does she do, besides be Wonder Woman? She's just sexy? Like, she's a sexy she's model? She's a professional sexy person. Like, you know, a calendar that would be up in a mechanic's shop, that's, but she made it herself. That's cool. She has her own DIY sexy pictures thing and so she has 250,000 Instagram shit. followers. So people just want to like scroll through and see some sexy every five photos yeah. that you follow her. Yeah. So the Ponyo picture performed well. For cool. Her. People were like oh, I'm jealous of that dog. There are were... some people that I follow on Instagram where that is their sole purpose. Like I find. To be sexy? Yes. I find them attractive and I don't really know them but I want them in there. <laughs> Do you like those things or you just lurk them? Um, Occasionally I will like it if I'm <laughs> Because <laughs> sometimes it's too sexy. Not like... too much to be uh, <laughs> to be suspicious, but sometimes I can't stop myself. It's just... <laughs> I feel like there's some, there's like cute people I follow today. Somebody she posted like a topless picture of herself, but she had something obscuring yeah. her nipples, and I was like, I can't like that picture because I can't be like the like one of three people to be like, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Generally, the I mean, so, most of these people that I'm following that are attractive have like thousands and thousands. of so that's, I'm, I'm hidden. Like, I'm oh, not, good. like, to be noticeable. <laughs> it's not like somebody who works at a grocery store. Yeah. Where you go and you're like, hey, I really like that. Well, actually, recently, the butcher that works at, like, my um, local organic butcher place down the road, like, liked my Instagram photo, and I felt really self-conscious. I was like, this... Yeah. I didn't know that we n- knew of each other. And that, that we were on a name basis? No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you, when you pick up your order, are you like at Ariel Schreg? Is your no? Is your I'm name? just an I'm I'm just a nobody walking in there and buying like a pound of ground beef or a breast. <laughs> That's a breast what you please. thought. That's what I thought. <laughs> well, maybe there. Do you do you think sometimes it happens in Portland where people will know me and I don't know them? Like the woman that tried to save us. Yes. Will you please yes. explain what happened? Well, there was this really, really kind woman who tried to jumpstart us, and we all felt very woman-empowered, and then it failed, and yeah. <laughs> that went away. Yeah. <laughs> but for a moment there, we were, like, doing it. I mean, I was doing nothing. <laughs> You're a huge the, help. <laughs> sitting in the car, scrolling through Instagram. <laughs> um, My car died, we should say. Yeah, the we went- car, we went to Japanese food, we came back, and the car wouldn't start. So this really kind woman who was there, too, tried to jumpstart it. That didn't work, so we called AAA. Anyway, she was, like, really nice and stuck around, and then it turned out that she had bought Nicole Zine, yeah. right? Yeah. Which was just awesome. It was really nice, and I, I just thought that she was a good Samaritan. Mm-hmm. And so I tried to give her this book, and then she's like, oh, I already have that. Then, <laughs> oh, is that how it happened? Yeah. So I was like, oh, what can I do to thank you? Here, can I give you this book? And she was like... Uh, I just bought that today. That's so great. I was like, oh, that's oh, very wow. nice. So that's kind of like a cool coincidence on her part. If she bought it that day and yeah. then was later, like, saving your life. Saving my <laughs> goddamn life. Well, so then I got towed home, and it turns out that a rat had chewed through the starter cable of my car. Yeah. So our woman empowerment would not have fixed <laughs> that rat-chewing yes. situation. Because I was farm-sitting a couple weeks before, and it was, like, so idyllic and beautiful. Yeah. 
And meanwhile, the rats of Nim were like siphoning power out of my car battery. <laughs> Mrs. Their... Frisbee. <laughs> well, they were, yeah, they were trying to make some kind of like hydraulic lift to move her little brick house the, with so her sick children. The Secret in it. of Nim is like the, one of the greatest movies ever, you agree? It's one of my yeah. favorite movies. Okay, me too. That and The Witches and Babe Pig in the City are a real trifecta for mm-hmm. me. And I really have been thinking about Dumbo a lot. See, I would see, I would say that Rats of Nim. Charlotte's Web and this movie called Gay Paris are like my three non-Disney. That's my trifecta of non-Disney animated. Well, okay, so so your butcher knows who you are. That lady who jumpstarted my car knew who I was. Do you think that being a cartoonist is glamorous in any way? <laughs> are there perks of being a cartoonist? Uh, yeah, you get molested by men as a uh, as a teenager. Did this happen? Is that a perk? I well, I just look back on like my life as a teenage lesbian teenage cartoonist, and there were so many men that just touched me in ways that were not appropriate and. Yeah. We talked about this, yeah. and I, uh, yeah, like, I just, I don't know, it, it makes me angry. There's a lot of creepy guys around comics with, guys with really complicated feelings about women. Yes. Yes, you are, you are butted up against that a lot. I mean, I feel like that's changing. I mean, I'm sure you've experienced this. Like, it just, like, now there's so many amazing women cartoonists. Like, there's yeah. just, there's no, you know, it's no, there's no, you don't even really, I feel like you shouldn't even have to have that qualifier anymore but you did used to have it because it was just rare like you would go to these conventions and there just wouldn't be that many and um yeah I don't know so I it I I feel like if I were starting now I I wouldn't necessarily have that those feelings really you wouldn't I can't tell maybe I'm just older too so I don't feel as vulnerable but like uh, I don't know. I mean, now I feel like I know so many women cartoonists that I yeah. can hang out with. When I used to go to comic conventions, like I had Gabrielle Bell, and we would like cling to, cling to each other. But other than that, it was all men, some of whom would inappropriately touch me. Well, I feel like I was, you know, engaged with inappropriately by grown-ass men, or men that were a little too old for me yeah. to be hanging out with when I was a teenager. But that was... It was just a scene thing. Like, it was like I was, you know, in punk, mm-hmm. and I did zines, and I was a girl, and I was one of the only girls in my scene area. Yeah, so yeah. I remember a guy literally being like, come over to my house and help me lay out my zine. And I was like, okay. Yeah. And then he just, like, swipes all the pages of the zine off the bed and is like, and, you know. Yeah. But it was one of those things at the time when you're young and your brain is like not even fully formed and you're like this guy's older i must be mature like yeah what an honor that this is happening (laughs) (laughs) yeah he's interested in me and he's a 23 year old who lives with his mom (laughs) like i'm only 15 and my mom's gonna pick me up soon like that's just i don't know if it's comics yeah there's a cool factor you're right i'm sure that this is not i mean i think that maybe the comics factor just means that Maybe it's a certain type of man. I, I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe maybe they're all the same. I mean, for me, it would be more like I would want to go to a comic convention, but I wouldn't be able to afford to stay near the convention in a hotel. So I'd be in some like youth hostel, like <laughs> I don't know, like three cities over. Oh God! And then like some man would be like, "Hey, you can stay in my hotel room," and I'd be like, "Oh my God, cool! Thank you, awesome!" And then I'd be like in the bed with them at night. And there'd be like, you know, yeah. I have to like swap them away or whatever. By the way, I love you have every chick trapped. 
Yeah. I love Chick Tracks. They're so great. My favorite one is the Sodom and Gomorrah one. Yeah. Um, I can't remember what it's called, but I bought several copies and I've tried to give people I copies and they don't, yeah. they don't think it's that cool of a gift. Oh my God. It's so fantastic. All, there's like, <laughs> I taught a class on Chick Tracks at Center for Cartoon Studies. The guy, oh no, it's about gay people getting married. The guy who teaches comics history was out for a week and he mm-hmm. knew I liked Chick Tracks, yeah. which is the, to, to, to sell, tell you they are this, um, religious pamphlet that you would find in a phone booth that would creep you out, but is gorgeously rendered about how you're going to go to hell. And anyway, um, so they're by a guy named Jack Chick, but he actually Harvard, you know, the, he farms out the art anyway, uh, just for some context. Every now and then he draws it though. And it's like, like he, no, yeah, he, my understanding was that like, so that's like the, his one main guy, I forget his name, but then he's this more simplistic style. Oh, yeah. Which is yeah. somehow creepier. It's much creepier. Something about the combination of the two. Big Daddy? <laughs> they're all so fucking creepy. I love them. Well, they're all, they're basically like, if you get molested, you're going to go to hell. If you're Catholic, you're going to go to hell. If you're gay, you're going to want to try to infect people with AIDS just to get them because you're an evil homosexual. But the coolest thing about these is that you would just find them, like, on the street or, like, at some random store. Like they really felt it really felt like kind of like an Easter egg hunt to collect yeah. them. I remember the first time I saw one was in like the Kmart a phone booth at Kmart in Kansas, suburban Kansas. Yeah. And I was so creeped out because it had um the Grim Reaper on the cover. The one yeah. I'm looking at is called the Gay Blade and it has a man with his hip stuck out and his hand on his hip and his other hand making a very gay, effeminate it's limp a wrist. It's really effective cartooning actually. It's a silhouette and yet you know without a question that this is a gay man. You absolutely know. Well, so this guy who draws these is an African-American guy, and he's the most popular cartoonist in the world. I believe it. When I was watching this, so I showed the students at Center for Cartoon Studies this documentary, um, and then, you know, read them some of my favorite chick tracks, and Mm -hmm. they didn't know if they should be horrified or laugh or what. You know, it's like really young people that are kind of just getting politicized that are like, why are you reading us an anti-gay thing? I thought that you were gay. I don't understand. Why are you showing us all these people getting tossed into hell? And it was like gay people, chefs, um, Native Americans, Eskimos, like all these people were all going into hell. Yeah. Catholics, nuns, Mother Teresa also going to hell. But anyway, I was showing it to them, and it was like, oh, you know, there's billions of chick tracks out there, and they're all mostly drawn by this one guy. So even though, strangely, comics, you know, is seen as like this, I don't know, there's a lot of white people doing comics. Yeah. This one guy yeah. is actually the most popular, yeah. or most read cartoonist yeah. in, on Earth. That's really interesting. Um, uh, what else do I want to ask you? Well, I want to ask you... So, okay, so so guys were kind of creepy to you when you were starting... Because you started out in comics as a young, young, young mm-hmm. person. Like, you were 15 or 16. Mm-hmm. Um, and now you're an elder mm-hmm. person. So, <laughs> have you... Did that make you want to leave comics... The comics world as it was? Like, mainstream comics world is very dude-oriented still. Even though there's these articles that are like, guess yeah. what? Women read comics, too. It's... No, yeah. I mean, it didn't bother me at all. I mean, I actually... I, I did feel special. Like, I felt... There was, like, an element of feeling cool that I was a girl in this male-dominated industry. It's more just in retrospect. I'm like, my God, like, these men were so inappropriate. But at the time, I was just kind of, like, I didn't really... I I was more just obsessed with becoming successful as a cartoonist, and that was sort of all I cared about. And, um, 
Yeah, I don't know. Wait, what do you mean? What was the question? I guess I guess I've had times where I have been grossed out by mm-hmm. Comics Land and all the dudes there. Yeah. And so I have retreated a little bit into Gay Land. Uh-huh. Yes. I've always felt happy that I have Gay Land. Yeah. I, I would be I think I would be really unhappy if I felt like my only subculture was comics. That would yeah. not be cool. Yeah. That's a good point. Um Yeah. I but I also sometimes get like sick of Gayland because it's so like incestuous and gossipy and just I don't know. I mean, it has its problems, and so yeah. then it's nice to go into Comics Land, yeah. where there's none of those like emotional entanglements. Yeah, at least for me, there's almost no intersection. Yeah, I mean, I just went to the Queers and Comics conference. We're like, so I shouldn't say we're that. the intersection. We're the intersection, but <laughs> yeah. it's the kind of thing where like. Anyone you've ever dated, like, probably, like, if they come visit you at a comics convention, they're probably like, what the fuck? Yeah. What is this? Yeah. <laughs> like, I've always tortured people by having them bring me lunch yeah, at these yeah, random things totally. where I'm tabling, and they're like, who are all these guys? here? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> like, this is my thing. Yeah, these are my people. Totally. <laughs> Not to diss comics people who also are, I embrace, you know, I have yeah, a lot yeah, of great comics of friends, but it's funny when your life intersects yeah. in that way. Yeah. Or it doesn't. Yeah, my hands are very strong. Yeah. I feel like that's a blessing that's a, and a that's curse. That's a good thing. And a this is good. Thing, I, not to be gross, but when I was in my early 20s, I had sex with somebody using my hand. And I realized it was, like, really fucked up and cramped afterwards. And I was like, wait. Yeah. Like, if I had to choose, I would choose draw. Like, I can't yeah, yeah. I can't have this happen that's and then, like, really not funny. be able to draw. So at the time, I've since lost this. But at the time, I tried to teach myself to give hand jobs with my left oh, hand. That really difficult. Well, I was, because it, it was like a useless paw. And yeah. so I was like, if I can do this with this hand, and then I can save my right that's hand. That's so funny. For drawing, <laughs> which I guess I care about more. Which yeah, that's really funny. I, I never, yeah, I don't know that I had that, um, that dilemma. But I do, like, I do, I mean, I do feel really sensitive about my hands, like, and about them getting injured and yeah. that sort of thing. Do you have a backup plan of, you know, sometimes I'll think about what would I do if my right hand broke? Well, yeah, I actually, um, so I had to have shoulder surgery a couple of years ago from, like, an injury when I was a teenager that I never fixed, which meant that my shoulder was always coming out of its socket. Ugh. And when it had, after it would come out of its socket, I had to, like, keep it in a sling for a while, and so, like, I wouldn't be able to draw. And I started to get really anxious that, like, just something was going to happen where I was going to not be able to draw. So I started teaching myself to draw with my left hand. And Did it um, work? Well, sort of. I mean, I, I, more, I more got, like, sidetracked by, like, the, the interesting things that would happen when I drew, drew and wrote or, with my left hand. Like, I would... So for basically this month-long period, I would write for a half an hour and draw for a half an hour with the left hand. And I was really excited by creatively what would happen, just, like, things, you know, because you get into such a rhythm with your right hand, and you just, everything's so smooth and perfect, and I felt like it was really exciting what I was doing. I was accessing some other part of my brain by drawing with my left hand. And Gabrielle has a comic called uh, My Affliction that she also did with all of her left hand, because she had tendonitis in her right hand, and it's really special and... Um, I do think that if I had to, I could I could draw with my left hand, and and I feel like I could draw with my feet if I really had to. It would take more practice, thought, but you know what I mean. Like yeah. you could, you could basically yeah. draw and really like you have dexterity in your hand, but it's not really. It doesn't really have anything to do with your. It's trained. It's it's all in your mind. So yeah. Well, yeah. I, th- I feel like every cartoonist I know is like, my hands got cut off. I would use 
My feet. Yeah. I would use my mouth. I can use my armpit. Yeah, you would You would eventually be okay. I'd be more concerned about going blind. Yeah, I kind of just... I've, I've always been like, can't do attitude. I can draw with any part of my body, you know? Like, I'll gain some more weight and use a, a roll. Yeah. But then the other day, I heard this dear sugar call where somebody's like, I'm a visual artist, I'm getting glaucoma and going blind, it's really depressing. And I was like, oh, I didn't think about that. Well, that's that's why I've built up a second career as just a writer, so that in case I go blind, I can still find <laughs> solace in my work. Maybe I, I could... I guess maybe I'd try to make Harvey Pekar or something if I went blind. No. No? Getting other people to draw I don't thing? like comics written and drawn by different people. I don't like them as much. I, I don't like them. Anti? I'm anti. Um, I mean, I, you know, they're not terrible, so not, occasionally there'll be one that I like, but I don't... Not really. I think you should just write. I, I can't think, think of any that are the most... They always they always have this uh, disconnect for me. Yeah. I, um, I, I feel like I can see and feel the the disconnect between the writing and the drawing and it makes it feel inauthentic to me or something. Um, why did, why was Adam a book and not a comic? It never, it was never going to be a comic. I mean, I think, you know, for some reason I don't really have much of a drive or impulse to write fictional comics. Yeah. I only am interested in autobiographical comics. I feel there is something about translating an actual experience that I had into this weird black and white comic world that really fascinates me. Like I love seeing the other version of reality. And I think that Adam, which is, you know, completely fiction, I wanted it to exist in my mind like reality with like, with me imagining real people. Mm-hmm. And that's what happens when you have prose. It gets translated into your mind into, like, actual people, almost like your memories or um, fantasies. And uh, and so that's what I want. That's how I wanted that story to live, basically. Mm-hmm. So a cartoon version of it would almost seem, like, completely silly and ridiculous, Yeah, I guess. It deals with such deep and kind of, I don't know, inter- like, touchy subjects. Mm-hmm. That there might be something to having to really think about that extra element of like, how are you visually depicting this person or that person without making yeah. it like a caricature? That's true. That, that it's always more complicated um, with comics because you have to. You're accountable for the way everything looks, and, and in a way that with prose, it's kind of like half of that is on the reader. Well, you <laughs> actually, that way. well, one person actually, one someone who interviewed me was like, I have a question why most of the characters in, in Adam are white, but all the trans women are of color. Why? And I was like, that's not true. Like, wow. there's like a few trans women in the book and two of the main ones are white. So I don't know why, like, but in their mind, and maybe they've seen the word trans women of color too many times on the internet or something. <laughs> They're like, so that was really interesting. Like that, that, interesting. yeah. Was your first entree into fiction writing for the L word? Or did you yes, write fiction otherwise? it was. And was that it, was really exciting. Was it hard to make the leap from autobio to fiction? Like, what were the things that were the same or different, or what did you have to do? I think it was a good segue because it was a show I joined in the third season, so it was a very established show, and I was really just kind of aiding what was already there. So it wasn't like I made this jump to suddenly needing to create an entire fictional universe it was like I just kind of stepped into an already made fictional universe and said, well, what if she did this or that? Yeah. Um, so it was it was really a great way 
to do that. But I definitely think that working in fiction and TV was what kind of gave me the confidence to do something like Adam. Mm -hmm. Because when I was younger, I had no interest in fiction. I just never... I, I did, couldn't understand why anybody would do anything but write an autobiographical <laughs> comic. I mean, I kind of feel that way, and yeah. then sometimes, you know, like I have a children's story I wrote that's all fiction, mm-hmm. and then I see the value of being able to put some, you know, autobiographical details in there without being, like, without being attached to them, without yeah. having to add every autobiographical detail so totally. that's accurate, getting to change a few things. Yeah. Well, there's something that happens in memoir and autobiography that... I had it less when I was younger, just being brash and a teenager, Um, but it happens more, I think, as you get older, and just a a certain, I mean, you have more of a sense of responsibility to the real people involved, or there's a certain, like, I think, more of a degree of self-consciousness about how you yourself come off, Yeah, and... um, in fiction, there's none of that. Like, yeah. you really can just say whatever and do whatever. And a lot of it is, of course, autobiographical or whatever. But it's not... You don't have to feel responsible to it. Or you don't have to worry about, you know... Although, maybe you do still have to worry. Because so many people would read Adam and come to me and say, like, this is me or this is... And it's like, no, it's not. But... You wish! Yeah, I don't know. Um But yeah, so I think that... I think that there is, there, there, there can be a fiction, a freedom to fiction, which is nice. What is the most trouble you ever got in for autobio? Um, I mean, the hardest thing was probably exposing so much about my high school girlfriend and, uh, you know, that was a real relationship is very important to me is still important to me I mean, we're, we're still good friends now but we definitely went through phases of a lot of strife over it because I so wanted and needed to expose all of this stuff about us and she felt at times violated by that yeah what do you do now do you like warn people sometimes I'll warn people mm-hmm. if I'm doing I do a diary comic every year for two weeks mm-hmm. and so I'll kind of just let everyone let know. Let everyone know that this is happening. Like, just yeah. so you know, I'm doing a diary comic this week, or, like, if I'm dating somebody, I'll be like, do you want to pick a pseudonym, or... Yeah, yeah. Maybe I'll just... And I've actually gotten weirder and weirder to pick people as, like, an animal, or, like, something yeah. that's so unrecognizable, um, like, a non-gendered, like, bear right. or something that has its own weird name, <laughs> yeah. just because I'm so... I've gotten more and more... Yeah, I think, um, it, I think that's protective an age thing. ...other people, and of, you know, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well... For when I did the high school comics, I would send them to her before they were published. So I gave her a chance to veto or ask me to change things. And she was incredibly cool and rarely asked me to. There were a couple things in Likewise that she asked me to take out that were too personal, and that was fine. Um, I mean, I haven't... I'm working on this collection of short comics now um, that are autobiographical, but I haven't put out an autobiographical comic since Likewise, so I haven't really had to deal with that problem because yeah. I was working in, you know, TV and, and the novel, which were all fiction. And the, this collection now is spans me from age 6 to 26, so it feels less... Um, I mean, a- anything that happened happened 10 years ago, so there's less sensitivity around it. So I might show some of them to people that are in it, yeah. but I'm not as concerned just because of the time factor. Yeah. Uh, I think it's when you're writing about something that's more immediate that people 
you know, understandably are more concerned about yeah. how they're going to be depicted. Yeah. They have no distance from it. But yeah, I mean, I don't, my, basically my, and I, that's actually the question that I get asked a lot. Do in you get terms in trouble? Of, yeah. Do you get in trouble? What do, what do the people in your comics think? Yeah. Um, as I'm sure you do. And, uh, my answer is mainly like, you know, the point of the books is not to make anybody look bad. Like that, no. you know what I mean? Like the point is to share a story that's important to me. And it's your story. It's my story. But at the same time, like if you are really concerned about hurting somebody or, or them feeling exposed, you have the option to show it to them before you publish it and you can yeah. just see what happens. So yeah. I found I kind of like, I don't like to get people involved in the process while I'm doing it. Yeah. Cause I don't want them to rattle my cage while totally. I need to be focusing on just getting out the story. And then I don't know with my mom or my ex-girlfriend, I told them after it was too late. I was like, I did this. I mean, but everybody knows. Well, generally, if you show somebody, like, a finished, polished work, like, they kind of have to be a major dick to be like, you can't put this out. Like, oh, they yeah. see how much work you put into it and how meaningful it is to you. Like, they generally, I think, understand. And every now and then there might be, like, a small thing that's like, can you just take that out? And yeah. And you figure it out. Yeah. It's nice of you to give people veto power. I never give people veto power. Well, I mean, I've never really had... It's never been a problem. Like, I yeah. think I knew that this ex-girlfriend was so supportive and understanding that I felt yeah. comfortable giving it to her. Um, I don't know. I never showed anything to my parents. I mean, do you, did you just publish your graphic novel yeah. without them I, knowing? And did you, what I, was, what kind of response did you get or how was that for you? You know, well, okay. So, my, you know, like my mom had no awareness that she's ever been written about or why would she? Cause she's such an awesome mom, but my, <laughs> she doesn't know that this is what you do at all. <laughs> she like, she like gets that I write comics. She's like, why can't I read your comics? And I'm like, I just don't want you to read my comics. Like they're gay. They're just not it's right. nothing to do with you. And this is when your graphic novel was in zine form and it like, like serialized and she was in it a little well, bit. Or? I, I did the zine. I did this zine that got anthologized into books and mm -hmm. I would not give her the books. And yeah. she was like, why not? And it was cause I, you know, I was like part of the time I was closeted yeah. so I didn't want her to read it. Yeah. And so I just had a point where I didn't want her to know about my personal life. And yeah. It's weird because I was publishing it for literal strangers to know about my personal life. Mm -hmm. My mother, I was like, not you. <laughs> um, so I didn't tell her about the book. My ex-girlfriend, you know, it was after it was too late. You know, like the, the gears were in motion. The book was like on a boat from China or something yeah, coming. Yeah. It was a month or two before it came out or maybe six months before it came out. I wrote to her and I said, this is the main girlfriend, the main book. girlfriend in the book, but she had been, she had been diary comic to death. All right. Yeah. I mean, when we started dating, I was like, what do you want your fake name to be? And she yeah. was like, I don't want a fake name because I'm so good yeah, that yeah. I can't imagine why I would need a fake name because I'm like, yeah, it's, I'm awesome and I'm going to continue to be awesome. Yeah. And then she was the biggest villain of all time. Yeah. Like I was so delusional. <laughs> so I went back without behind her back and changed her name. Once yeah. I realized it was going from being like a 200 copy zine to like a book. Yeah. The invincible summer book that she was in. I went back and changed her name. Cause I felt like it was weirdly self-destructive for her to be like, use my real name. And then she's a acted yeah. horribly while under the lens of this diary comic. So, um, I wanted to protect her, but still tell my story. Mm -hmm. And then in the book book, um, calling Dr. Laura, I told her beforehand, Hey, I wrote this. Wait, is calling, I've read calling Dr. Laura, but not no. invincible summer. Yeah. Is it, it's totally different, different, but Com some of the same people, you know, themes, some, come up. some of the same characters, but totally different content. Yeah. Okay. Totally different content. So she had already been 
I had, I mean, basically our breakup and the breakup scene from calling Dr. Laura mm-hmm. had already been published oh, in my okay. zine. Yeah, she's horrible. She was, she was really <laughs> bad news. She made, she did some pretty, yeah. uh, like kind of rat, rat like things. Yeah. Um, and that was just where she was at. But so I told her this book's coming out. I, I portrayed our what relationship, the good and the bad. Eve, I protected. Eve is actually two girls. Two girls, okay. It was two girls, and I'll tell you off microphone what their name originally was and what I had. I had their originally... (laughs) Did you combine it? I combined... That's so awesome. I combined them into one person Mm -hmm. to protect their identity. Yeah. Because if I had written exactly how things went down, it would have been just... Like a slam, like yeah. me using the book to bully yeah, somebody. Yeah, yeah. You hurt my feelings. Well, look at this. I have a bigger platform than you. Like, yeah. I wanted it to be like, this is my emotional truth. This yeah. is the thing that happened that just kind of like, shoop, like cut the Achilles tendon. Mm-hmm. So I, I want to put it in there because it feels emotionally resonant. Mm-hmm. But I blended them and I blended up their details mm-hmm. to make them a composite character so that they were not recognizable. Okay. Because they were such an asshole. Yeah. Yeah. But, the, so the girlfriend didn't really care. She, I think she doesn't care to read it. I don't know if she's read it. Huh. She was excited that her grandma read about it in the paper. And she was like, my grandma saw you in the paper. But, oh um, God. she just was like, yeah, I'm just glad you're telling your truth and do what you need to do. And yeah, that's cool. Yeah, it was cool. I think that, I think that she's also, or some people I've dated have been a blend of narcissist where they get a little excited, whether it's good or bad that someone's I writing think, about them. I think everybody is. I mean, that's. That's my belief, is that everybody, most people are pretty much, some part of them is thrilled to be depicted, no matter how bad. Yeah. I mean, that's how I would feel. Like, I, to me, there's nothing more exciting than seeing some version of myself in somebody else's art. I mean, that is the most interesting thing You're like, that I, I could was possibly be looking at. Yeah. <laughs> so. That's how, I've had people that I feel like I've written things about them that were kind of disparaging, and then they, like, were thrilled. They're like, I was in Nicole's comment. Yeah. <laughs> But it's true. It's like, oh, I had that big of an impression on you. Like, I was that important to you. Yeah. That you had to process it through art. Yeah. Like, you spent hours drawing me. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I was a jerk, but you know, who could blame me? Um, will you tell me your process and what you use? What do you draw mm-hmm. with? What do you um, do? I well, for my high school comics, I drew everything with these two epitographs: a point two five and a point three five. I like the gray one. Um. But now I prefer to letter with the .25 and ink with a brush. So it took me a while to get skilled enough to ink with a brush. Do you Um, plan out your stories in thumbnails before you draw them or like in scripts? It really, really varies. Um, I can show you actually. So I start with like an outline like this, kind of just the main points that Mm -hmm. I want to go through. And then as I'm going, I might draw like little thumbnails or some stuff um in and out so Uh like every now and then like I might be like okay I need to pan out this page but sometimes it's just an outline so it's kind of like a mix Mm -hmm. it's a mix of outlining thumbnailing and then just drawing straight what I really try to avoid is Uh even though it can be tempting is to just write a script Mm -hmm. or too simple of a thumb of a thumbnail because I feel like you miss the way the panels are actually interacting with each other once the composition and characters are in there. If yeah. you are just doing, like, stick figures, I think yeah. something gets lost. So I try not to get too dependent. Do you edit? Time. What is your editing process? Um, it's pretty minimal. 
I mean, because, you know, it's so hard. To yeah. Edit. yeah. So yeah, there's some amount of editing that happens in the thumbnail process if I'm doing that or the outline process. Occasionally, once I already have a rough draft, I will go in and change it if it's really bothering me. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, once something's penciled, it stays. Cool. Is there anything that you would tell a young cartoonist? I would say focus focus on your writing rather than your rather than perfecting how beautiful your comic page looks or getting too involved with like illustrator or InDesign or some fancy way to lay out. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like just listen to the people around you, write down stuff people are saying, write down your emotions and put that on the page because that's what people want to read and ultimately doesn't really matter like how glossy it looks. Yeah. I open up some comics and if they just look too glossy, I just close them immediately. There needs to be a certain degree of grit in a comic yeah. for me to want to read it. Yeah. There's nothing sadder to me than a comic that is beautifully rendered but poorly written. Yeah. It's depressing, which is kind of why I had this issue with comics written and drawn by different people because you often see this perfected glossy art and it's just that it, it's not like it's just not it's not dancing with the writing. Like they're not, they're like ships in the night. They're not, yeah. it's not coalescing. Hi, Nicole. This is um, Erica. My question is, um, I have to decide by tomorrow um, if I want to go back to Florida with my partner and resume our relationship, or um, do I want to give money for this apartment and live up here in Illinois in my hometown and start over up here? And I've been here staying with friends for three months, and I really want to go back down there, but I know that uh, I was really unhappy when I was down there. Um, but maybe it'll be different this time. I don't know. Uh, but thanks. I hope to hear your answer. Bye. She is in Illinois, and then she wants to know if she should go back to Florida? Okay, the, I just have to jump in and say that the fact that this needs to be decided by tomorrow makes me feel like do not make any drastic change. Yeah. Do, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. if you haven't figured out that you want to do this, by now, or if somebody's giving you an ultimatum, then that sounds like a very sketchy yeah. situation. It sounds like you can always go join this partner in Florida. Florida's always going to be there. If you need to, but if you were unhappy there, I don't know. If you weren't, if you weren't happy there, maybe it'll be different this no. time. Why? Why? No, it's usually not. <laughs> What's the difference now? I agree with you. I think um, they just also the tone of her voice did not sound excited about the prospect of moving to Florida with a partner. No. And you need to be excited about that. Like, sure, everybody would be nervous and have, but there would also be like, okay, I'm going to do this. Not, I need to decide. <laughs> I, I'm really excited. <laughs> I actually hated it so much last time, but I'm thinking that. It might be different. No. <laughs> Stay. Stay where you Stay are. Stay where you are. And I, I have, I'm doing a cost-benefit analysis of the money part, I think, 
the the money stress you might feel from staying in Illinois is going to be less or more controllable than the stress you're going to feel of being in Florida, which is not that cool of a place to be if you're not happy with what's going on around you. And that stress seems more. I mean, both of these places sound terrible to me. Illinois or Florida, you have to choose right now. But my big, bigger issue is that it doesn't even, she didn't even mention friends in Florida. And I would feel very anxious to move somewhere just for a romantic. I'm assuming that's what she means by partner. Yeah. I would feel very anxious to just move to a place that you didn't like to be with a person. Because that's a lot of pressure. Yeah. Um... And it sounds like she has friends in Illinois. And uh, I wonder why she's saying she needs to start over there. Because she left Florida and she's staying in Illinois. I don't Start over. Illinois is better. Yeah, it's closer I'm a little to Chicago. Confused. Did she have a life in Florida? Are there people in Florida? It, do, it doesn't sound like anything that was incredible enough for her to mention it. Look, Fort Myers, Florida is on this telephone number. So. So maybe she did have a life there and resume a relationship. Sounds like she fled this partner. Or fled Florida. Or fled for- Florida. I lived in Florida, so if I diss Florida, it's not from any... It's it's from understanding. It's from a deep understanding yeah. of the oppressive heat yeah. and uh, humidity and the backwards, weird-ass people. And I'm going to make a leap and say this person might be gay. Mm-hmm. And they're going to go to Florida? Yeah. I don't know. I, I said, give it, let it cool it off. Like, if you're meant to be, you're meant to be. If your partner goes to Florida and you stay in Illinois and you're like, oh, no, this was a mistake. It's just money. It's just a money mistake. Yeah, That's all. You can overcome that. certain yet, why does it have to be tomorrow? The tomorrow part is the is the craziest part. Like... There's too much, there's too much fear right now for this to be the right decision to go. Sagittarian Matters is produced by Chris Sutton, with assistance by Ponyo Georges. Our theme music is composed by Carolyn Pennypacker-Riggs of the band Bouquet. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time. Schrag is the author of the comics Definition, Awkward, Potential, Likewise, and the novel Adam. Find her books anywhere. I highly recommend them.